ahead and open them to the uh, New Testament, to the book of Colossians. Chapter 1, specifically. Um, um, could you, anybody need a Bible? If you do need a Bible, raise your hand and we can get you one. All right, we got some Bibles coming. Keep your hands up if you need one. And if you don't have one, you can feel free to keep keep the one that's given to you. Um, so there you go. All right. Anybody else need a Bible? Yeah. One, two, two. Raise your hand. It's okay. Um, so... I want to share. I want to share something tonight, and um, I think more than anything, um, I want to. I want to share a word about this this redemptive work that we are gathered here today to focus on the work of Christ on the cross, His death, burial, and resurrection, and what it means. What it means for us, um, specifically, um, exactly what is the extent of Christ's redemptive work, um, meaning what what does it take care of? Um, what does it accomplish? Uh, what part of our lives here and now, day to day, um, is the redemptive work of Christ um, sufficient for? And, and, and how is it sufficient for those things? Um, and I, I'll just say, we're not going to cover all of that in detail, but I, I want us to see, um, hopefully today, even just a bigger picture of this, this significant work that Christ has done and, and what it means for our lives day to day, moment by moment. Um, I think one of the, the most um, tragic in some ways and, and sort of faulty understandings that we can have is that... Um, that that the things of God are are good for this place, um, but they don't really have bearing for Monday morning or for um, your your workplace or for your artwork if you're an artist for your music if you make music for um, any of those things for your play even. Um, and I want to say that. Um, if we really understand what God has accomplished through His Son, what we'll really um, begin to get a glimpse of is a, a work that has total implication for our lives. A work that has and wants to speak into every single area and facet of our being. Um, again, I don't know how to sort of bring that home today, but I'm going to try my best. Um, we're going to read Colossians because I think it gives us a picture of this um, understanding of, of God's redemptive work through Christ. So let's just go ahead and start there. Um, uh, 
Colossians 1, and I'm just going to read, it's a lot, but I'm going to go ahead and read a good portion of that, so you guys can follow along. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You have learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. You guys following me? It's a lot. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the sons he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's a good verse. Verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I like um, the message translation there. Verse 20, it says, The broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Once you were alienated from God, And were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move. 
from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, has become a servant. Okay. Did I lose you? Are you still there? That was a lot, I know. I want to hone in a little bit, okay? I'm going to hone in <laughs> for your sake and mine. Um, a couple verses in particular from that passage. Um, I wonder if you heard um, that phrase, all things. I believe the writer here is really trying to press um, to these people and to us really the comprehensive nature of what God has done through Jesus. A couple of verses, he says in verse 6, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Verse 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself to himself all things, things on earth, things in heaven, making peace through his blood. Verse 21, once we were alienated from God and were enemies of, in your minds because of evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Okay. Um, so I want to talk about the all things. I want to talk about, really, redemption of all things. Redemption of all things. Let that ring in your ears. And the real question is, what does it mean for us to know that in Christ there's the redemption of all things? What does that mean? What does it look like? Because I think that answer is so critical. Um, I remember hearing somebody say one time, maybe you've heard this phrase before, um, someone said that, um, there some, that some people can be too spiritual for any earthly good. Too heavenly minded for any earthly good. Have you heard that before? Well, I want to I present to you that the, the scripture itself does not um, make that possibility. Meaning that when we understand what it really means to pursue God, what it really means to embrace his comprehensive work on our behalf and on behalf of all creation, we will actually be of incredible worth to God here and now. There won't be this dichotomy that we're too heavenly minded for any earthly good because we hear in the gospel itself that God is incredibly fixed on the redemption of all things. In other words, his goal and his purpose in sending his son and giving up his life for humanity, for creation, was to redeem back all of it. You following me? So here we are on Easter, and um, I think Easter is one of those days that can sort of be this sort of 
segment special day, and it is a special day, but it can sort of remain as a holiday for so many. Um, I want to say that the resurrection is, is not supposed to be a day we celebrate. The resurrection is a person that we follow, and that is Jesus. Jesus said, actually, before he went to the cross, he, he told Mary and Martha when, when they were looking at um, the death of their brother and wondering why Jesus, in, in all his caring for them, all his loving them, couldn't and didn't do something about it. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. So um, they said, yeah, we know that our brother will rise again on, uh, you know, eventually. And, and, and Jesus was, what he was trying to tell them is, no, no, I am the resurrection and the life and what is in me has a here and now implication. It's not just for some far off place, your eternal destiny, but it has a here and now implication and God is incredibly interested and invested in all things here and now. That should be exciting news for us. Because I think that, um, you know, too often in segmenting what it is to, to follow God and to worship God, um, actually we miss out on the fullness of what it looks like to see all things be redeemed. What does it look like for all things to be redeemed? What does it look like for this declaration that through Christ's sacrifice, all things are being redeemed? Um, The word redemption, I want to look at that word and I want to look at the word reconciliation. Redemption and reconciliation. What do those two words mean? They're they're big words. Um, In the context that we hear it here, it says that we have redemption forgiveness of sins. This story that, that we are brought into, the story of the gospel, it's a story of, of humanity, of creation that is out of line with its original intent. We hear in the beginning that God created all these things and he created them and everything he created, he said it was good, it was good, it was good. And then he comes in with humanity and he says it was very good. There was an original design, original intent, and, and central to that was humanity. And central to humanity was this idea that part of why we were declared very good is because God put a portion of his very nature in us. It, it's, it's what we recognize even when we talk about self-worth. Then something happened, and we see that humanity at the fall was broken, that not just humanity, but creation itself was broken as a result. We see that, that all things actually were, were brought into chaos and disorder, and we, we still see that. It's, it's all around us. Our awareness of brokenness, our awareness of disease, disaster, loss, suffering, all of those things. So at the fall, there was a brokenness that invaded all things. And I want to say that in Jesus' coming, he didn't just come to 
deal with the sin issue. That's significant. But he came to deal with all things being out of original design. All things not being what they were meant to be. And the work that Jesus did on the cross is for all things. You guys following me? Okay, I feel like I'm putting you to sleep. I'm going to try my best not to. Holy Spirit, we need your help. (laughs) I really do believe this is significant for us. Um, I think what it tells us first and foremost is that God is incredibly interested in the here and now. That he's not forgotten us. He's not off in the distance. And in fact, he is incredibly interested in invading the parts and places of our lives that we even thought that that really he didn't want anything to do with. To, To deal with and address and redeem the things in our lives that we thought were beyond his reach. And the declaration from this passage, and if you don't hear anything else, I hope that you hear that in Jesus all things can be redeemed. I didn't tell you what that word meant, did I? I'll explain it. Redeem, redemption means to, to buy back, to purchase, to pay for to restore something to its original value, original intent. Reconciliation goes along with it. The redemptive work of Christ, meaning the purchasing work of Christ that he paid when he went to the cross and he bore our sin, he bore our penalty for that sin, which was death, in himself as a perfect sacrifice. That was a redemptive work and it was a reconciling work. Meaning he bought you back, he bought back creation that was subject to decay and rebellion and all these things. And in the process, he bought those things back to be reconciled to God, to be restored to God. Reconciliation means to be brought back to its, brought back into harmony, brought back into right relationship. That's the goal and the, the, accomplishment of Christ's work on the cross. It's redemptive in nature and it's reconciling in nature for all things. So, if that's true, we we kind of still have a problem here, which is how does that work itself out? How do we see the redemptive work of Christ actually manifested in all things? And do we Do we really believe that? I mean, because you only have to walk out the door to realize that it doesn't seem to be the case in so much of our lives. So if we hear through the cross that God has redeemed and is reconciling all things to himself, what do we do with the place we find ourselves in? What do we do with our own lives where there seems to be so much that there's still a disconnect? Um, I, I think what Amanda shared was, was um, in some ways a reminder that, that, that there's things that we, we haven't even um, maybe even seen God work in. Places maybe we didn't even know that he's wanting to redeem and address and deal with in our lives and 
um, they may be tucked away and buried. And maybe we even thought that, um, no, I, I believe that the work that Christ did is sufficient to, to get me to heaven, but it's not sufficient for this thing. If we've thought that, we've, we've essentially, in that area, in that way in our life, we've limited the redemptive work of God. We've essentially set a parameter, a boundary, and said, God, your work is sufficient for this, but not for this. And I believe today God is wanting to speak into those places, into those areas of our lives, and say, I have and I am redeeming all things. There is nothing that I haven't paid for. There is nothing that I didn't take care of when I went to the cross on your behalf. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? One, one, one of us does. That's good. <laughs> so how do we get there? I believe that we see in Jesus an invitation, an invitation into redemption. Meaning that the work that has been accomplished on the cross, the work that comes through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, it's, it's an invitation for us to step into what can be accomplished when we say yes. Like It doesn't just happen. There is an invitation there. And God is looking for us to say, yes, I will let you into my life. I will let you begin to reshape, reform, repair that which is broken. When you say, Jesus, yes, that's what you're saying yes to. That's a whole life work. It's ongoing. But I wonder if there's places where we've said, yeah, I, I said yes to Jesus, but I'm not sure that his redemptive work is, is big enough for this thing, this place, this brokenness. And if so, I'm sure for some of you there's this feeling of frustration. Maybe you've said, I do believe, but why hasn't it been different? Why hasn't it changed? Why does it feel like um, the reality of who you are has yet to manifest itself? In my life. And I I don't know if there's an easy answer to that. But I will say I do believe God is bringing his redemption to all things. And it starts with you and I. And it starts with an understanding that he is deeply interested in every facet of our lives. And everything that we do. Uh, we, We have this problem. And I'll just go ahead and say it. In the church particular, we have this problem of segmenting. Not only things that God can and can't deal with, but, but areas of our lives that we, we think he's interested in and areas that we think he's not. Do you know Jesus was a carpenter? That's profound. No. I, I wasn't meaning for that to be profound. But if you didn't know, Jesus was a carpenter. Okay? This week I was working on a piece of furniture, um, trying my hand on that. Um, it's been slow. Um, thankfully... Um, Google and YouTube and all that stuff is like really helped me out some. Um, so I was I was working on this chair, this old chair, 
and I was sanding this chair. It's taking forever. And I, I started to think, God, like, am I wasting my time here? I, I started to think, God, is, is this meaningful to you? Am I just, uh, like, I know, um, I, should I be doing something else? Should I be preparing for Sunday? And maybe right now we're thinking, yeah, you should have been preparing for Sunday. <laughs> Instead of sanding that chair. But in that moment, I was reminded that Jesus was a carpenter. And it wasn't like, you know, oh, you're being like Jesus right now. But actually it was in the sense that I had this connect there. God was saying, I'm pleased. I'm happy right now. Even in your, you know, botched sanding job of that chair. And I thought about the life of Jesus. You know, he had three years of ministry. What did he do before that? He sanded chairs. (laughs) He built tables. I bet Jesus was a pretty good carpenter. Something tells me. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was the, the God and man thing working together. But I bet Jesus was a really good carpenter. And you know what else I bet? As Jesus was sanding those chairs, as he was building tables, we saw the redemption of all things. Have I lost you? What I'm saying is God was in it. And I believe that we have to stop thinking that there's places, not only in our lives, in our, in our private lives, but in our public lives, even, that God doesn't want to go that he's not interested in. God is interested in everything. And specifically, he's interested in everything being brought back to what it's supposed to be. Being repaired, restored. And in that, there's an acknowledgement that things often aren't the way that they're supposed to be. When we hear that God is redeeming all things, we should hear also the reason he came is because he acknowledged that things were not the way that they were supposed to be. That's really significant. He sees that. He sees that in our lives. He sees that in our communities. He sees that in our city. He sees that in our world. That things are not the way that they're supposed to be. And that's why he came. And that's what he's doing. And how does he do it? I believe he wants to do it through you. He wants to do it through your life. He wants to do it through a life that says, God, I realize that the reason that you came is to redeem all things. Redeem my job. Redeem my relationships. Redeem my money. Redeem my play. Redeem my work. All of it. To make it what it's supposed to be. To repair it. And so I believe we have to start realizing God is interested in all of it. Do you hear that? Your work, he's interested in it. When you go in tomorrow, he's really interested in being there. And in fact, he is there. I remember this really coming to light for the first time for me. Um, Actually, I was um, about to begin my senior year of college. Um, for those of you who don't know, I came to Baltimore for art school. That's why I came here. Um, 
and I was coming to get a degree, and then I was going to leave, and that never happened. So 12 years, here we are. Um, so, yeah, woo, I'm excited. Um, but I remember thinking, when God just turned things around in my life, and that's a long story, but I was still in New Orleans where my family is, and for the first time I was saying, God, I want you to be in the middle of all of it. That song we sang, Holy Yours. Like, that was my prayer. God, I want to be Holy Yours. What is that going to look like? And the first things that came to mind was like, you know, go be a missionary somewhere or do that and all this stuff. Um, you know, sit in the church every day or something like that. You know, just sing worship songs. Um, for whatever reason, sometimes we think that's, those are the things God's interested in. But the rest of it, uh, you know, he's like, <laughs> I could care less. Or, you know leave or take it. And I remember saying, God, if you don't want me to go back to art school, I'll stay here. I'll stay in New Orleans. In fact, maybe that would just be better because art school was a mess and life there was a mess. And I don't know a single person who was following you. And I don't know if I want to go back to that. And God said, no, I want you to go back. And I was like, are you sure, God? Because I feel like, you know, for the longest time, I never invited you into any area of my life. And now I'm saying yes. And if that means I don't go back and finish this degree that I've already spent way too much money on, I won't go back. I won't finish. And in that, I, God showed me something. He said, you know what? I don't want to throw out your past. In the same way, I didn't throw you out. I want to redeem it. I want to redeem all of it. In that way, God is an amazing artist. He is the most amazing artist there is because he took what looked beyond repair, what looked like it should just be thrown out. And you know what he did with it? He said, I'm going to make something glorious and beautiful out of that. That's your life. That's your life. That's the gospel. God looked at humanity and said, I know it's messed up. I know it looks beyond repair, but I am going to redeem it. That's the work of an artist. And our lives are that very thing. And that's what he's doing. That's what he wants to do in every area of your life. And so for the first time, I realized very profoundly that God was very interested in, in not just where I was at at that moment, but he had been interested in me before I was even interested in him. That's pretty cool. And you know what he showed me? He said, he said I don't want to throw out your, your past. I want to redeem it. So I want you to go back to that school, and I'm going to rewrite a new story. I'm going to take all of that stuff from your past, and it's actually going to be a part of that story. I want to say in that way, don't underestimate what God can and will do with your story. Don't underestimate what God can and will do with your past. Don't underestimate what God can and will do with your brokenness even. We think that stuff is to the detriment of who we are in God. But actually, if you let him redeem it, it will be for his glory. It will be part of a marvelous picture of this artist shaping and working, redeeming your life. Where does this all leave us? Um, I want to wrap up soon. 
But I hope you're getting it just a little bit. And I want you guys, you're going to have to use your imagination because I can't spell it out for you and I don't even know. That's part of the excitement of this journey that we're on. It's part of what it means for this abundant life that we've been called to be into. What it means to live that out. It means that you have the privilege of working with God to figure out what redemption looks like at your workplace. What redemption looks like at your school. What redemption looks like in your relationships. That's going to take a little bit of creativity. I'm glad a lot of you are creative. Actually, all of you are. Because when he put his image in you, part of what he put in you was his creative image. And he is looking for people to come alongside him and say, God, I I recognize that central to your mission is this heart to redeem things. And that through the Son, you have initiated that. You have begun that. And in fact, everything that we need is in your work through Jesus. So help me be a part of. Help me just step into and embrace this truth that you want to redeem it all. There is nothing that you're not interested in. So I'm not done sanding the chair, but I eventually will be. And I know God is smiling when I do it. When you paint, when you draw, when you make music, when you do what he's called you to do, he is smiling. And in that, he's even asking and inviting you to, to ask, God, what, what does it look like to be a part of redeeming all things in this area of my life? In a few weeks, we're going to address this some more because it really is, um, it's about... Um, understanding holistically what it means to live in the kingdom of God. When Jesus came, he didn't just come and say, I'm, I'm bringing a salvation. No, he said, I am ushering in a kingdom. Literally, I'm ushering in a way of living, a way of thinking, a way of doing things that flows directly from heaven that flows directly from the way that God's heart has been to see things done and thought from the beginning. That's called the kingdom of God. And I believe more than anything else, what we need to is get into the, the, the sort of difficult and the, um, the depth of understanding what that actually means to live in the kingdom of God, to think <laughs> Through Jesus. We were uh, praying earlier. I'm going to wrap up, I promise. And um, <laughs> we were in a circle praying. And before we started prayer, Aaron was like, um, Mike, what's on your shirt? Does it say Messiah? And his shirt doesn't say Messiah. It says reprint, I think. Way off, right? <laughs> and she was like, oh my, I must need to get my eyes checked. And what I thought was, no, no, no. That's really good. I think that's a picture of what we're called to. That we would see things through the lens of Jesus. And we would realize, I know, I know, I'm sorry if I embarrassed you. Maybe you do need to get your eyes checked, but I think there was more to it than that. That we would, wherever God's called us, in whatever he's called us, we would see things through the lens of Jesus and his redemptive work. That the heart of God is to reconcile humanity to himself. And then we've been called into that. It says all of creation is groaning and waiting for the sons of daughters, sons and daughters of God to be revealed. 
It's not going to happen until we start to understand and to grasp this call to be a part of the redeeming of all things. You guys got it? All right, I don't want to beat this thing to death. Um, I'll close with Colossians 3. If you could put it up there, then I won't have to turn to it. There you go. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's a good word. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, all things. All things. He starts off by saying, as God's chosen people, holy and beloved. Set apartness is your identity. To be holy means to be set apart. And I want to suggest that you sanctify, you set apart everything that you touch when you step into it, realizing that you're set apart. Does that make sense? So whether that's standing a chair or doing office work Monday morning, uh, making music, making art, Filling out your taxes. Glory, I'm glad that's over. Unless you filed an extension. Whatever it is. Well, it's set apart now because you're set apart. It's because of who you are that all of those things can be part of all things. Um, I just want to read one last thing. Along those lines, um, there was an interview with um, John Foreman, who's the lead singer of a group called Switchfoot. And he, um, this is how I know that so often in Christianity we just don't really get this. Um, the, the writer asked him, so would you consider yourself a Christian band? And um, he started by saying that to be honest, that, crush, that question grieves me because I feel that it represents a much bigger issue that's simply a couple of songs than simply a couple of songs. He says, does Lewis or Tolkien mention Christ in any of their fictional series? Are Bach sonatas Christian? What is more Christ-like, feeding the poor, making furniture, cleaning bathrooms, or painting a sunset? What is more Christ-like? Cleaning bathrooms, clearly, that's, that's a true servant right there. He says, there is a schism between the sacred and the secular in all of our modern minds. The view that a pastor is more Christian than a girls' volleyball coach is flawed and heretical. The stance that a worship leader is more spiritual than a janitor is condescending and flawed. So we want to end with this. The all things, it has to do with being a set-apart people. And you're a set-apart people if you said yes to the invitation to be redeemed. If you said yes to the work of God to bring you back, to repair, to fix, to restore. And then from there, you have the invitation 
to say yes to being a part of that in the world around us. Let's pray.